The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Raleigh Sussex. From the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, here, willing and able to talk to you about words, about language, about linguistics. We are going to be talking about uh, the ECA, the exhibition, and, um, and a, a little bit of a legal skirmish that occurred. Um, but before we do that, you, mm. we were talking earlier about the, uh, the coronation mm. uh, of King Charles III on this program. Uh, we were eating a bit of coronation chicken and quiche. Molly? I haven't actually had that. Um, I don't know if you'd... Well, you, maybe you would because of your hair. I don't know. Um, but Kat Feeney made some. It was lovely. And um, the coronation of. Now, are we using the right language when we're speaking okay. of... This has come up before, but it's worthwhile repeating because of Saturday, mm-hmm. which is bearing down upon us. It is. The word crown entered English with the, probably uh, even before the Normans in 1066. It was, mm. It's been quoted in English in the 11th century. And um, the verb was a bit later. Coronation is about 14th century, so that, you know, they, they're borrowing words from the French, and that's fine, that's what they did. But the trouble is that people think that, that okay, we've got crown, we've got coronation. Now, there are lots of other things in Asian that have verbs with them, hmm. right? So that there ought to be a verb to coronate. So they invent one, and lo and behold, he is going to be coronated, turns up in the vocabulary. Now, it's not there is not in the Oxford Dictionary. Right. It's not in any of the major dictionaries. It's called a back formation because you get coronation and you think there ought to be a verb from which this is derived. Sure. That makes so logical we'll create sense. It. So he will be the first to be referred to as being... that. No one said that Queen Elizabeth II was coronated at the time. And we should not say that Charles III was coronated either. Right. He's going to be crowned. That's what which, I would have which said. Is the, which is the proper verb and it's the one we should all be using. Okay. But you will hear coronate this week. And I that's why. I saw it written, actually, in a, in a news publication from a, so. from a different... It wasn't ABC? It was not. Ah, no. all right. We would never. We would never. <laughs> Curse the day. Oh, but that, this is interesting because, you know, some, some occasionally you get a major event which pops up. Mm. It's like proroguing Parliament. You know, it only happens every three or four years. Um, and uh, this coronation, has, there hasn't been one for an awfully long time. Mm. In fact, mm. I was in Paul Mall just after the Queen was crowned. And uh, we saw that ages carriage and that's a long the back in the prehistory. <laughs> but this one is important, and uh, we ought to be saying that he is going to be crowned. Indeed, we shall, and you can watch and listen to that here on the ABC, on the radio, on the television, on the ABC Listen app. Now we've got, uh, as always happens, as soon as I say your name, people have questions for cool. you, Let's Professor Rolly Sussex. But before we get to that, Dagwood Dog. Yes. Now we said off air. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can out you here, but you've not you've not had the pleasure. And I intend to continue not to have the pleasure uh, because I have, I have certain... Well, I, I was brought up uh, with uh, Central European sausages, right. the sorts of things that they have in Poland and so on. And those are really very nice and sophisticated, you know, all the way through Germany and Poland and the Czech Republic and what have you. Dagwood Dog is something different. Um, it's actually an American in- invention, 1927. Uh, some people invented what was called a corn dog because they dipped the sausage in corn batter and then fried it. Um, After skewering the poor old sausage, axially, as they say, from one end to the other, with the skewer so that you could hold it. 
And it turned up in Australia around about the 1930-somethings or others. And there was a, a, a court case about it because someone had a something – it was a day – it was it was a sort of corny thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they called it the – what did they call it? The Pronto Pup mm. for some reason. And there were some other people who were doing the same thing but calling it a Dagwood Dog. Oh. And the people who were doing the Pronto Pup thing actually had a patent uh, about this, about the improvement in sausage goods. And that patent was going to last for 15 years from 1945. So they had eventually an agreement with the people who were doing the Dagwood Dog that they could produce this thing and they could call it a Dagwood Dog, but they had to give them a halfpenny for every one they sold. Right. And in those days, the halfpenny was not negligible. Mm. Right? We still had farthings, which were a quarter of a penny. Uh, that, but that was a long, long time ago. And so the Dagwood Dog was born and it has flourished. And uh, the official description goes like this. A stick had been inserted axially in the Frankfurt, leaving a portion thereof protruding. <laughs> the Frankfurt was then dipped and fried. When the batter had been cooked into a crisp brown covering, mm. the fried article was drained and a paper nap- napkin wrapped around a portion of the stick protruding from the frankfurt and handed to me for the ticket I had, produ- I had purchased for sixpence. That is a beautiful explanation. It is. Now, so the next time you see a Dagwood dog, recite that and it'll make it feel a bit different. And no one else in the world is calling them that. If no, I said to someone in Australian. Canada, can I have a Dagwood uh, there, dog? There are things elsewhere, particularly in America, uh, where it's it's quite a well-known phenomenon, mm. but they don't call it Dagwood Dog. That's ours, and a bit like Sideshow Alley, which is ours as well. In in U in US, I discovered it's called a Midway. Oh, yeah, I, I thought Midway. Uh, I haven't heard that. Neither had I, but it's full of amusement amusement rides and games and things. And there's a fam- about 500 families that make a living out of going from show to show. Yes. Um, there is a, um, a thing called the Agricultural Show Australia, mm-hmm. which manages 580 agricultural shows around the country. Mm. And these people travel from one to the other, setting up and doing their thing. Uh, and the, it used to be a bit more raunchy. Uh, they got rid of the freak shows and the strip shows and things in the 70s, and it's now very much family-oriented. Yes, very much so. Yes. Yes. It's 100 days away. It's 100 days away, which is why Michelle Collins, our producer, suggested we have a forward look at the Ecker. She's a wise woman. Dodgems are not ours. They probably come from an American it's – it's the name of a product called Dodge M. No, we will Dodge M, them. Uh, and it's been taken up very much in, in England. It's very popular there. And show bags are an Australian thing. And when I started going to the Melbourne show in the 50s, they actually had real produce, mm. you know, real nails and things out of the nail-making machine. Nowadays, it's more promotional stuff of one kind or another. Yes. Um, but it's still fun and it's part of the, you know, you see people wandering around with 40 bags in each hand, yeah. which is quite, an, quite, a, quite a thing. But what is interesting about the Echo, we're, we're the only one that's got an Echo for exhibition. And actually, that's because it is the exhibition ground. But the show is called the Royal Queensland Show. Yes. And there are two families of shows in, in Australia. There's one which is named after the city. So in Sydney, it's the, Royal Sid, the Sydney Royal Easter Show, mm-hmm. which is a special one. And then there's a Melbourne show, or sorry, I beg your pardon, a Royal Melbourne show and a Royal Perth show and a Royal Adelaide show and a Royal Hobart show and a Royal Canberra show. But ours is the Royal Queensland 
In other words, it's for the whole state, even though there are other agricultural shows elsewhere in Queensland. And curiously enough, they do this a little bit the same with universities. University University of Melbourne, University of Sydney, University of Adelaide, University of Queensland. Mm -hmm. Also WA and Tasmania, by the way. And with symphony orchestras, we have a QSO in this building, no less. Indeed. But in in Melbourne, it's the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, it's the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, it's the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra, and it's the WA Sydney Orchestra. So WA is a bit like us. No, we, we are at the extremities of the country, west and northeast, and so we name things after the state. And they name, everywhere else has one named after the city, which is odd when you think about it. We like to do things a little differently. Oh, we are different. I mean, I moved here from Melbourne in 1989 and I've been learning not to be a Mexican ever since. <laughs> I'm a Mexican too. Time for some calls. Moya in Brookfield has given Rolly a mm-hmm. call. What's your question, Moya? Hello, Rowley. I love you to hear your voice. Um, well, it's a rather appropriate word, I think, for this week. I'll spell it for you, H-O-M-A-G-E. Ah. And I have always known it as homage, mm. a homage to the king. Mm-hmm. But I keep hearing homage on the radio. Ah, homage is, is a halfway house. It is, in, fre- in fact, from French, homage, where you don't pronounce the H. Okay. Exactly. It's and it comes right. originally from the Latin word homo, which means a man. And the homage was when a vassal declared allegiance to the lord of the manor. So you, uh, you did your man thing, I suppose, uh, in, in the days gone by. So it is homage in accepted pronunciation in British English and in Australian English. But uh, homage is, is halfway, and I don't think it, it's, it's sort of a halfway pseudo-French, and it's not even French. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you so much for that question, mm. Mo, because I would have thought it was homage. It is homage in French, and if I heard but it's homage in, homage. it's been anglicised. So we pronounce the H and we make the A into an edge. Right. Okay. Like garage. I would have thought someone was mispronouncing it, but now I know they are not. Well, you can do both, actually. I mean, I say, I, I quite often say homage, hmm. uh, but then I think, oh, wait a moment, I'm putting on French airs a little bit. I shouldn't be quite so up myself. And so <laughs> homage, is, homage is what goes. You're an American. And there professor, is a bit of a, a, a thing this week about exactly what we should be uh, expressing in relation to the new king. Oh. Now, some people don't think that homage is, is it's an older term relating True. to subservient people declaring loyalty and fealty. Fealty, there's a beautiful word for you, uh, to a ruler or a lord of the manor or something. Interesting. But the par- people in parliament, I think, have to do it as part of their, their oath of office. Yes. Mm. A question from Sandra on the Sunshine Coast. Hello, Sandra. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, look, I was talking to some grade eight students yesterday about bush tucker. Mm. And the very first question they asked me, what, what did tucker mean? And of course, I, I'd taken it for granted that everyone, but it's more of a generational thing, isn't it? I, I mean, I always use the term tucker. Um, so I was wondering what the, um, what the origins of the word tucker. Mm. Okay, are. well, it actually goes back to tuck. And you remember you used to have a tuck shop. Yes, yes, um, exactly. They, they don't ask about that, just <laughs> bush they, they don't. And in That's because it's a canteen now. This ter- well, actually, we, we did a, this turned up in my parallel program in South Australia a couple of months ago, and it turned out that the private schools have a canteen and the state schools have a tuck shop. Oh. And it was an almost 100% divide between the two. Now, tuck shop is where you got your tuck, and tuck is a word for just food, uh, Probably not major meals, but things to keep you going between. British in origin? Uh, British in origin, definitely. Um, 
And uh, there are all sorts of things with tuck, tuck in, tuck away, no tuck. From, but but as a noun, uh, no, it, it it means food eaten, particularly by children at school, as a snack. Adults don't usually have tuck so much. No, it was a, it was a kids thing. So tucker is is derived from that, and it's an Australian and New Zealand one. And uh, come and have come and have some tucker, and that actually is available for in person of any age. It's or, quite, quite or you might find a dog on a tucker box. Well, it's Australia and New Zealand. Yes, tucker box. There, so many miles from Gundagai. However, what, what, I don't know what that would be in metric, but never mind. <laughs> I think that's one that won't translate. Thank you, Sandra. Great question, yeah, Sarah. Just before I forget, yes. there's a verb too to tuck to tuck in. Yes. So that it's all it's all part of a little family of words. And you can also be tucked in, which has nothing to do with food. That's different. Um, it comes from an old Germanic word meaning to something like to punish, which oh. is rather yes words do big jumps in meaning sometimes, and this is an odd one. Sarah has called from the Sunshine Coast. Hello, Sarah. Good afternoon, Kat and Rowley. Mm. Thank you for your fascinating segment. I really look Thank forward you. to it every week. Um, I would like to follow on a little bit from the first lady's question, um, but concerning the H at the beginning of the word, yes. like you have hotel, but then you have honest, mm. and then the Americans say herb instead of herb. They do. Um, where does it all sort of fit in with each other, and, and how has that all happened? <laughs> okay. The H that comes from Germanic languages, which is the old family of, to which English belongs, is pronounced. So words like hot and him and so on, they're, they're, they're pronounced H. Words that we've borrowed from French are a little bit problematic. Because some of them we've anglicised like herb in our English, but the Americans have taken the French pronunciation where herbe, right, which actually means grass in French. And um, so that, that we have a problem with, with borrowed words in H. Now, for example, hotel, you used to put up at an hotel in the 1920s and Lord Peter Whimsey did so. But nowadays, uh, it, there's a, a, a tendency throughout English to treat H as an ordinary consonant. Mm. So you pronounce it with a H, right? And hotel is now not hotel, but hotel. Would you be staying at a hotel? Yeah, ah, I wouldn't say an. I think you said, you'd, you'd said a hotel, right? not an hotel. Yeah. An hotel sounds very dated and, and a bit put on. Yeah. But there is a further story because if mm-hmm. you have, for example, history, where histoire in French, where you don't pronounce the H, We've got history, and if the stress is on the first syllable of the word history, you, the, the H is a consonant at the start of the word. It's nice and strong. You pronounce it her. But if it's historical, where the stress is on the second syllable, the H is no longer so prominent, and we've, we will find both an historical and a historical. All right, they're both around in current English. The pronounced H is gaining ground, and so I would have thought that an historical will become a little older generation, and then it will sort of slip to the edge of English and will be recognised but won't be used. But a student of yours would pass the test if they had said an or a historical. Yes, hmm. it, it's it's in play at the moment. It's in move, motion, and I think that an historical is, is on the way out. Okay. Right, but the answer to um, uh, to to the question is Sarah's it depends question. where the age comes from. If it's Germanic, it's a her. Okay. And if it's borrowed, it's probably very often not pronounced, um, except in things like French. Glenn in Cornubia has a great question I'd never thought of before. Hi, Glenn. What's your question? Hello to both of you. Hello. Uh, this must be an H afternoon because <laughs> it's always... You've got one too. All right. <laughs> it's always puzzled me holistic mm. uh, is 
commences with an H, but if you look in the dictionary, mm. it says characterised by parts being interconnected mm-hmm. in reference to the whole with a W. Yes. And from a medical perspective, it says the same, that mm-hmm. it's the treatment of the whole person with a W. Mm-hmm. Okay. Holistic comes from Greek holos, which means total in Greek. And we borrowed a lot of words from Greek, particularly in the 15th and 16th century. And when we did so, we borrowed the spelling that the Romans had copied from the Greeks, which the French had copied from the Romans, which we copied from the French. And so holistic is is properly with an H. But whole, W-H, actually comes from a a different word, um, and it's a Germanic word, and so it's got the W-H pronunciation. And the two words, it's, it's a very odd one because they mean almost the same thing. They come from two different sources, and they've got a different spelling. Thank you for your question, Glenn. A, a clarification well as well um, from uh, something Rowley said. There is the Queensland Symphony Orchestra and the Brisbane Symphony Orchestra. I beg your pardon, as well. But the, the, the one which is, which is the older one and which is established first is certainly the Queensland Orchestra. It is indeed. Brisbane Symphony sounds very fine, by the way. Go and listen to them. It, I've heard, yes, mm. very much. Thank you, Trudy. Thank you very much for that. Um, Terry is in Harvey Bay. Hi, Terry. Hi, how are you going? Very well, thank you. There's an expression that's changed over time, you think? Well, yeah, it's either change or it's a different thing altogether, but I'm starting to think it might be just a changed expression, but it doesn't make a lot of sense as it stands now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I was a kid, there was a saying, from the word go. Oh, my dad used it. And uh, the other, a couple of years ago, one of my kids was saying, from the get-go, and I'm always hearing it on the radio. Mm. Okay, get-go by itself is almost only found with the phrase from the get-go. Although there are other things like I want some coffee to go, which is the American version of takeaway. And we had takeaway, why give it away in favour of a borrowed thing? Now, get-go is certainly American, and it means from the beginning, and uh, it's it's one of these borrowings which has pushed uh, uh, existing expressions like, you know, from the word go, which was a perfectly good way of saying it, for, which we used. But uh, um, um, there are 330 million Americans, and, and their, Ameri- their American English is around us all the time. Lots and lots of TV, for example. Mm. And as a result, we kind of lose track of what was ours and what was not. Um, and I'll give you an, another example. Um, the word hopefully, which used to mean in a hopeful manner. You know, he looked at her hopefully. But there's another hopefully, which is hopefully it'll all be done by five o'clock. And that means it is to be hoped that. And we got that in 1969 with the moon landing. We can date it very, very accurately. Interesting. It it was used on on the media by, by, I think, NASA. And it was picked up in the Australian media within two or three days and it has become standard. First time I heard it, I thought, I'm not going to say that. I now use it with anyone else and I don't even flinch. Thank you for that, Terry. Ross is in the gap. Hello, Ross. You have a question yep. about something that um, my esteemed colleague, uh, <laughs> Steve Austin, who hosts the Drive program in Brisbane, says. I do. Steve Austin has a saying of speak to mm. instead of talk about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you to speak to a that? subject rather than speak yeah. to a person. Yep. Mm. Wouldn't he speak to the audience? Yes, you'd, you'd certainly speak to the audience, but there, there, there are problems with prepositions anyway. I mean, do, do you meet with someone or meet someone? That's changed during my lifetime. We used to meet people rather than meet with them. But speaking to a, a topic is slightly more literary, slightly more formal. 
Um, Will you like to speak to me about that, meaning you sort of have have a sort of think about it and and talk around it? Speak to it suggests that you're being asked to address it in a a slightly more focused way. Mm. And it's used a lot uh, in formal interviews, in things like um, Q&A and so on, where people are are asked to be, you know, keep on topic and say something about exactly this issue. There is a small difference. It's very blurry, uh, but the older one is certainly about. So he is speaking correctly, just very formally. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Ross. Before we let Raleigh Sussex wander off into the sunset, as he's he's, uh, likely to do, do you have a final word for us this Indeed. afternoon? This is in, in anticipation of the Ecker. Yes. And I w- was going to talk to you about, about horse names, but we can do that maybe next week. What do you call a horse that plays the violin? What do you call a horse that plays the violin? Fiddler on the hoof. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's, look, anything... Dreadful. Yeah, that dreadful. was dreadful. But um, having you here on the program is always a wonderful thing. Rolly, thank you so much for your time this I afternoon. And thank you for your calls. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to discuss language with you. ABC. 